Episode 3 of Live, Laugh, Learn with U3A. I am your host, Laureen Mulcahy. Today, for our third episode, we're talking with Graham Eggins from Lismore. It's a pleasure to be in the company of Graham Eggins, who is from northern New South Wales in the Lismore Ballina area. Graham is a member of U3A of 26 years, but he's done a lot in his life before that all started. Graham, I hear that you had a choice at the age of 15 as to which career you uh, attacked. Yes, that's right. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, like so many young people in those days when there were so many jobs you could take. It was completely the opposite to what it is today. So my mother took me into the uh, education department in central Sydney to have a proper vocational guidance test, which um, that included, you know, looking at diagrams of various gear wheels and saying if you turned the, the leftmost one to the right, what would happen to the one on the extreme right, opposite side? I had no clue. Uh, so I went through various tests. And anyways, the tester examined the results and said, well, I'm, you seem to be pretty strong in history and English. Um so really there's only two things for you, one of which would be a librarian or a journalist. How do you feel about being a librarian? I hadn't really thought about it, but I said, well, yes, it sounds all right. He said, well, actually, he said, I don't think you'd be any good at that at all because being probably the only man working with lots of women, you would be required and expected as the male to go out and get all the heavy encyclopedias and bring them up from storage and put them or other books and things like that. And he said, frankly, I think you're too puny looking to do that. So if you're not strong enough to be a journalist, perhaps uh, to be a librarian, perhaps you should be a journalist. So I took his advice. (laughs) So you're telling me that because of your puniness at the age of 15, you became a journalist. That's right. (laughs) What steps did you take in that direction then, Graham? Well, having decided to be a journalist, I wanted to be one, obviously, as soon as possible. And uh, as a result of that, I wrote to the Sydney Morning Herald. This was in November of that year, um, before the results, obviously, of the final school examinations were published and requested, would they employ me? And they wrote back a neat letter saying, no, not yet, but come and see us after your results are published in January and we'll think about it. So I then wrote to the competition, which was the Daily Telegraph, a completely different type of publication in those days, and um, with the same request. And they said, well, come in and we'll have a look at you. So I went in and they had a look at me and they said, well, all right. He said, we, 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 we have a cadetship, which was a four-year training program, but we'd like to have a look at you. So we'll start you off as a copy boy, which really was a person who was a gopher. Uh, for journalists or whoever was around that could order them about to get coffee, beer or whatever, cigarettes or whatever else was required. Uh, So I did that for until my results came out in January. They were reasonably good. And therefore, uh, I sat an examination with um, about 10 other prospects to see if we could get a cadetship. And uh, um, 
I think two of us were given one. I was given one of the general news department and another chap got one because he knew every statistic about sport that you could ever think of, including, you know, what Togo land person won the Olympic Games bronze medal in 1936, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was the beginning of my career. Okay, that sounds fascinating. And I just wondered why we needed that uh, bit of statistic then. But, you know, someone probably does sometime, somewhere. So what exciting adventures did you have in your uh, career of journalism? Well, as a young cadet who knew nothing and, and uh, you know, was extremely wet behind the ears, uh, I found two or three things. I, I, I visited a brothel for the first time. Um, not as a client, but to go along with the head of the police rounds department because you had, you went around with other people who wanted to talk to the madam on a matter of some crime thing he was following up. So that was my first time in. So I just didn't know ladies did things like that. Um, <laughs> so I, that was quite interesting. Um, I was involved in um, uh, when the Sydney University students blocked Parramatta Road for like four days, for about five hours, absolutely cut off all traffic. That was very interesting too. Um, uh, what else? I went to various nightclubs with other people <laughs> and met, shall we say, what do they always call them, interesting characters? <laughs> uh, and so I found that But the most interesting thing I found was that uh, even as a junior and wet behind the ears, I could ring up cabinet ministers <laughs> At midnight, and they would say, "Ha, wah, wah. And if if I just said this is Graham Eggins, they'd set the police on me quite rightly. But if I said I'm Graham Eggins from the Daily Telegraph, they'd swallow that because you had the power of the institution behind you. Um, so therefore, you could talk to practically anyone because the press was more feared then than perhaps it is today. And um, you had this incredible power, and here was this 18-year-old who was, you know, calling the Premier by his first name type of stuff, even though I'd never met the man uh, physically. Um, so that was, it gave you a great feeling of power, and uh, which could easily go to your head. In fact, it did easily if you didn't watch it. Uh, <clears throat> that sounds absolutely fascinating. I can see your horizons were quite broadened by all this experience. Yes. <laughs> did you did you experience any overseas uh, commitments? Any what commitments? Overseas. Did oh, you, overseas. Um... Yes. Well, after that, um, one of the uh, they gave me a column which was covering church matters on Sundays, simply because I was the most sober of the young reporters and therefore less likely to be breathing alcohol over the archbishop at ten o'clock on Sunday morning, uh, and that kind of got me. And then I got a radio column. And I talked in the radio column regularly about up-and-comers. One of them was some person called John Laws who just arrived from Orange, uh, et cetera, people like that. I decided, like all young journalists, I would like to go to Fleet Street so uh, because that was the home of fine journalism, et cetera. Um, so I sailed uh, with a friend. Uh, on a, a migrant ship on its return voyage, uh, which took about six weeks in those days. Um, and it was perfect timing, arrived in Fleet Street uh, just as they'd closed down one of the major metropolitan newspapers and there were 200 unemployed 
English journalists looking for jobs. <laughs> I think you were, uh, your timing sounded quite impeccable. Absolutely. What did you do? <laughs> did you get into journalism or did you have to try something else? Well, I, 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 I tried. I had, a, I had worked with Donald Horne, the man who wrote The Lucky Country and had a you know, subsequent great career in academe, but uh, as one of Australia's most foremost social commentators. But when I worked for him, he was the editor simultaneously of uh, a, a very popular magazine and and also a terribly intellectual one. He edited them both simultaneously. And he'd given me a kind of glowing reference and said, if you're absolutely desperate, go and see my friend who's the editor of a Titbits, it was called, and that's <laughs> that's what it was like. So I failed to get jobs anywhere, so I went to see the editor of Titbits, and, which was full of page three girls, jokes about, oh, I won't go on to what the jokes were about, and stuff like that. And um, he, he was very sympathetic, was impressed by the letter, and he said, look, I couldn't get my own son a, 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 a job in Fleet Street or anything near it at the moment. He said, if you want to go up to the far north of, of Scotland, I could probably get you a job in, in the Faroes or something. And uh, I said, absolutely not. So I walked out saying, well, I still don't have money for a couple of weeks' survival, and who should be sitting in the reporters, one of the reporters' chairs, was uh, Kerry Packer's brother, Clyde, who I actually knew. And uh, he said to me, good God, Eggins, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm starving to death and looking for a job. And he said, oh, we'll be able to go out and talk about it. So he took me to lunch, which was very nice. And half, and towards the end of the lunch, after complaining about rotten journalists and they're all the scum of the earth and so on, he made an excuse and I assumed he'd gone to the toilet, but he hadn't. He'd gone off and made a phone call and came back and said, well, you're starting with Reuters News Agency on Monday at midnight. You'll have two weeks trial and it's up to you how you go. So just purely out of happenstance, I happened to run across that man in that probably 10-minute gap because he was just bored, rigid, and he wanted to go out anyway and have lunch, I'm sure, and just I was there and it just happened. So out of that I went to um, work for Reuter in, 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 uh, in London, in Fleet Street, for several years and then went switched over to the Australian Associated Press, which is the Australian New Zealand news agency at the time, and they offered me a job in New York. So I ended up in New York for four years. Um and um, covering things like the death of JFK and Marilyn Monroe, all those kind of people of the times of the of the mid early and mid sixties, um, race riots, uh, the rise of the equivalent of Black Lives Matter, all that type of thing, and, and that was a very very exciting time. And uh, I remember it. I do remember that very exciting time. And you've just uh, listening to your uh, your talk just then. It really, a thought struck my mind is that it's not what you know in this world, it's who you know, and you certainly knew the right people to get onto this track. It was just pure luck. I didn't even know he was in London. So this is this is life, isn't it? The the luck of the draw or the luck of being in the right place at the right time, Absolutely. seeing the right person. How wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So after so, that, they said, wanted me to come back to head office and I said, good heavens, I've had enough of this living on, you know, you can get sacked if you're one minute late. Uh, 
so I came back and went into more magazine publication. I ended up with a friend uh, running a series of uh, business publications. Uh, again, I was based out of Sydney. I sold out of that and, and retired up to the north coast to be a goose farmer about something about which I knew nothing. Um, naturally, is the kind of thing you do uh, at the age of 49. And... Um, Came up here, rapidly discovered I didn't want to be a goose farmer, but friends had told me about this new thing that was being formed up here called the U3A. So um, I I saw their uh, advertising stuff, particularly a brochure, kind of they were putting around trying to attract interest to an open day or, you know, start-up thing. I wrote to the person who was standing in as, as the... Uh, leader of the organisation saying it was the worst brochure I'd ever seen. He then rang me up and said, if you think you can do better, come and do it. <laughs> Which <laughs> was fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. So I went back and did something better. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely brilliant. I love it. A man who, who speaks his mind and then shows up and improves the situation. So yes. that sounds so exciting. And did, so, did you, you actually joined U3A? I understand. I joined, well, you? I joined. I joined what was then the steering committee of something that wasn't U3A, but that was the aim. Uh huh. Right. Uh, the we had a public meeting in Lismore, which attracted, I think, from memory, about two hundred people. Right. Uh, and Lismore and this whole Northern Rivers area has, has been and still is a, a great attraction for people retiring from Sydney and Melbourne um, because of the climate and all the rest of it. Uh, forget about the floods, though. And um, it, was, it was good. And we had a guest speaker at that open day uh, who talked about what a wonderful opportunities U3A offered in the way of a – it was a time for many of us when you had intellectual freedom of time to finally explore topics of interest that you'd never had time to do in previous years, raising a family, making a living, etc. And uh, she said, it's our independent age. So naturally, I stole that for the newsletter, which I was then developing, called it The Independent Age. Uh, and, <laughs> and I did a dummy for it, which was all just pig Latin, you know, to see what the words looked like. But what I did too, and it ran about eight pages, but I put members of the steering committee's names in, buried in the middle of all this. You know, every one of them saw their name within split seconds, within split seconds, which, was, which was what I wanted to prove the point, that, it, that if you put your name in the middle of the phone book, you will pick it up in two seconds flat. So that's a very good point when people are considering um, putting out some publicity or some information yeah. is to put a personal person's name in there. And um, Well, you can't put a person's name in. I always remember a story when I was in magazine production. A man came to me and he said, I can, I can make a magazine and you will pay $20 for it, perhaps 50 perhaps even 100 for a copy. And he said, I said, oh, yeah, how are you going to prove that? He said, I'm just going to tell you the title. I said, all right, but what's the title? And he said, the title is What People Say About Graham Eggins Behind His Back. <laughs> now, he said, you can't do that, but you can say you. So if you can say, how do you feel about retirement? How do you feel about exploring, um, you know, similar, similar things with people of a like age? 
you can don't have to put the name in. You substitutes for it because people in their mind read you as being, you know, Ryan Barrett or, or Lauren McCulkey or whatever. You know, it's a translator. So I became using you a hell of a lot of times and still do. Oh, you sneaky person, you. Now we've worked it out. Oh, thank you for giving me that trick. I love it. Now, in your opinion, Graham, why do most people join U3A? When I was president and, and uh, for a while and also involved with the network, I, uh, I, did, I looked at all the research, particularly the research out of the, uh, out of, out of the English parent organisation in many ways, and they had done proper research, and they found that the main reason people joined U3A was social. It was to go to meet people with similar interests and age, but not necessarily backgrounds. And I think that's where U3A has always been very good, that you can, you can uh, study a, a subject that has interested perhaps you all the time. It might be learning a, a bit of a foreign language. It might be doing some artwork. It might be learning how to use a smartphone, whatever. But um, you, you know you're going to be with people of a similar interest, and it's, it's, a, it's a thing if you've just moved into the district, which so many of the people had at that stage and still do, as retirees, and you're not ready to go into the retirement home, this is a wonderful way of immediately getting contacts in the local area. And you're going to have share a cup of coffee with them before or after a, a group or class, and you're going to say, well, who's a good doctor around here? Who's, where do you get the best fruit and vegetables? You know, what that kind of inf information that only a local can, hand, can give you. And I think that's one of the reasons. The second reason is because in U3A, it doesn't matter what your background or your, your title was in a past life. We had one of Australia's, uh, our founding president one of, was one of the world's outstanding researchers in coral reefs. Just walking along a beach with him was a, was a wonderful thing. We had another fellow who was an ex-advertising man who knew more about classical Italian art than anybody else. He drew crowds of 60. Uh, we had another fellow who'd been a rice farmer all his life, and he 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 ran a, a, not about rice but in other topics, and he was been very popular. It didn't matter whether you'd left school at fourteen or you'd you'd been a university chancellor. You were all on the same level. You were all first name, and that that was really good. And I think of one thing: U three A's tend to be very dominant with with females, but um, they do have a special appeal to single men and widowers, especially if they're not particularly interested in men's sheds work type of work. Uh, you know, they, they would rather do something else. And the final thing is I think you can learn about cabbages, you can learn about kings, and you don't have to sit for a formal exam at the end of it. That is such uh, such a major point too. I think you've uh, you've really hit on the um, the important points of just friendships and connection with people because nobody can be lonely with the U three A in their area or getting meeting new friends, especially when, as you said, going to a new town, uh, retiring there. Mm. It's uh, it's a big challenge to up uh, to take your life, pick your life up, and go 
to a new area, probably because you've holidayed there and you've enjoyed it, but suddenly to live there and to realise that you have to establish yourself and find a hairdresser and a doctor and a dentist. Mm. But friends are so important. They do they do enhance your life to a major degree and mm. give you comfort and satisfaction. Yeah. I mean, you meet a host of wonderful people you probably would not have met any other way. That is such a major point. In mm. fact, this is what life is, isn't it? It's a journey of finding all these new friends and uh, and enjoying their company and just having fun yeah. and learning while you're doing it. And mm. So mm. now, do I remember correctly that uh, you had, while you were with you, you three, you were teaching a radio hour? Yes, we had a, a member who's since passed. Um, who had a uh, on community radio, and uh, she thought we thought it would be a good idea to set up on community radio a U3A hour. So I'd had some radio training. I knew a lot of people in radio uh, when I was a young journalist because I was interested in it. And I had a friend who was a uh, an announcer, both on 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 radio, but and later on on uh, uh, on television. Um, so I was always interested in that. So I said, well, well, why don't we have a radio hour, which was um, a, some U3A news. In other words, it was a thinly disguised publicity stunt for U3A. Uh, and um, that's what we, we ran that for a while and then it was subsequent other people, you know, had turns with it. Um, and uh, it, it still persists. It's... Um, the trouble with some of these community radios is that they are not, it's impossible to do the programming the right way. I mean, we, we followed uh, at one stage the kindergarten hour and then we went into the lesbian half hour. <laughs> I mean, it, it was no, there was no carry forward or back that you get in a, in a, a professional radio station. And I was saying we should, what we should do is just run smooth radio and uh, just play a lot of, you know, 50s, 60s stuff or something <laughs> with, with you know, interruptions occasionally and perhaps interviews with, with tutors. Uh, but that never happened. Oh, it certainly sounds like uh, something to consider in the future because mm. people do enjoy listening to conversations, listening to uh, oh, yes. people share their, their knowledge and their experience. Like I've enjoyed listening to you. I've, I've had a giggle all the way through this conversation, listening to all your uh, antics uh, as a new uh, journalist. It, um, it's broadened my horizons and I'm sorry that I'm now at this age where I can't go out and um, – do what you've done, but never mind. I can you enjoy might get arrested. Them. You might get arrested. <laughs> oh dear, no! Hey, that would be a new experience. Never been arrested. <laughs> I could. Uh, I'll put that on my bucket list, shall I? Yes. Why, why don't you? <laughs> oh, Graham, it is such a pleasure to uh, to enjoy your company today. Okay. To uh, to hear your stories, and uh, to to just know that. Life is full of different opportunities. We just have to be open to them, grab them, and then go out and enjoy them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bye, Graham. Bye, bye.
you for listening in. If you would like to learn more about your local U3A, you can Google U3A Network NSW. Or you can check out our Facebook page, Live, Laugh, Learn with U3A NSW. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of our podcast, you can email me on u3answ.podcast at gmail.com. This is your host, Laureen Mulcahy, signing off. Until next time, live, laugh, learn. Thank you.